Welcome to the Crown Council Mentor of the Month program. This is Steve Anderson. Admittedly, dentistry is part art and part science. Few dentists exemplify both aspects better than this month's Crown Council Mentor of the Month. A native of Arkansas, he moved to Nashville, Tennessee to be closer to one of his first loves, country music. As a musician, he has composed, played, and performed. As a dentist, he is a graduate of the University of Tennessee Dental School, an accredited member of the AACD, an examiner for the AACD, founding member of the Tennessee chapter of the AACD, past instructor for PAC Live, and the founder of the Nashville Center for Aesthetic Dentistry. His love for country music and his dental expertise have become a magnet for some of the biggest celebrities in the music industry, as well as cosmetic patients from around the world. He's been published in numerous dental journals, appeared on the Learning Channel, as well as ABC's Extreme Makeover. Along with lab technician Mark Willis, he's developed Durathin veneers and hosts seminars to share the specific skills, techniques, and benefits of the prepless Durathin veneer techniques with other dentists. He is an artist, scientist, educator, and innovator, and he is this month's Crown Council Mentor of the Month, Dr. Dennis Wells. Welcome, Dennis. Thank you, Steve. Good afternoon. So I want to thank you up front for taking on the challenge of identifying the top 20 things that have made you a better dentist. And with Absolutely. all that you have done, we're eager to hear what's on your list. So take it away. Well, thank you very much, Steve. It's a pleasure uh, to be with you. It's a pleasure to uh, to do anything that uh, we can share in the, in the Crown Council, as that has just been uh, a tremendous um, benefit to me professionally and personally, uh, the entire organization I just have the utmost respect for, and uh, it certainly made my top 20, so uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Well, I have taken the time to kind of think back and review uh, over the last 28 years that I've been practicing dentistry, and that was quite sobering to do that and to try to pull out 20 things that I felt like throughout my career have made me better, and uh, it was actually fun and enjoyable to do because uh, so many different people and organizations and things have uh, played a big part in my journey and development, so uh, it's great to have a forum to get to acknowledge some of these people and to uh, and to kind of think this through. So in doing so, I came up with basically four different categories. I, I heard Dr. Ron Ritzko give his presentation, and, and I kind of borrowed that from him because uh, it, it made it simpler for me to compartmentalize uh, some of the, the various influences. So I'm basically breaking it down into uh, education, and then the clinical, and then practice management, and then lastly, uh, personal and so I hope that helps kind of uh, outline what, as I present some of these uh, these 20 things. So I'd start with the education, which is it's impossible to overstate uh, the influence of these various uh, people and organizations. But I would start number one with the AACD, the American Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry. I, uh, on a whim, joined that organization in 1989 just as a member, and then I believe it was 1991 
that I went to the first annual meeting. And I am so thankful that for whatever uh, crazy reason it was, and I think it was mostly I just wanted to go somewhere where it was warm and sunny uh, and just have an excuse to, to take a vacation with my family. Uh, but as I joined that group at that annual meeting in Palm Springs, it was just amazing. Uh, the attitudes that prevailed there, kind of the culture of dentists that were so excited and uh, had energy and and just enjoyed dentistry, but also enjoyed just being together and having fun. I had never attended a meeting that had that type of environment, and so I was hooked from the first one. And uh, so many people, just too many to name, that I've met through the years have become my mentors, I've learned so much from them. They become personal friends. We play together. Uh, we study together. So I am forever indebted to the AACD, and I've definitely put that way up at the top of my top 20. And then closely attached to that would be number two, which was going through the accreditation process. In terms of education, I can't think of anything that was more profound for me in my growth than going through that process. And ever since that time, in 1994 when I did it, uh, I have served as an examiner. And I continue to feel as strongly today as ever about that. And the accreditation has received uh, a good bit of criticism, and there's been quite a few naysayers through the years. And, and it has certainly been a process that's been flawed with some human uh, error and uh, subjectivity. There's things you can you can criticize about it, but you know, at the end of the day, I still maintain it is a an incredibly noble task and, and noble pathway to follow. And you will be a much better a clinician if you choose to go through the process. So just a little footnote there, I'm encouraging anyone that might be entertaining that idea to, to follow through with it because it certainly brought some confidence to me and some uh, credibility that I just did not have previously, and I can look back and see how that was a big, big spark in my practice uh, in, in both growth uh, with patients, but also just in my team and, and my whole culture changed as we um, as we focus more on cosmetic dentistry. Number three, I've already mentioned, would be the Crown Council, and um, I know that that I am speaking to the choir here, preaching to the choir, but the Crown Council was another group that I sort of somewhat accidentally got involved with. Um, I'd heard about it through different people, but it was actually Dr. Bill Dorfman that challenged me one year and said, you know, Dennis, you need to be a part of this organization, and I promise you if you come one time, you'll be a regular member at that point, and um, I think he even offered, as I look back on it, to pay my tuition to go, <laughs> and so I said, wow, well, if you feel that strongly about it, and this was many, many years ago, I said, if you feel that strongly about it, then I'm going to go, and for those of you who know Bill Dorfman, you know when he gets something in his mind, you might as well just do it, because he's not going to take no, and so uh, we went to our first meeting. And he was exactly right, and we have not missed one since. And uh, that organization has brought so much uh, growth to me, both professionally and personally, and uh, has enriched <clears throat> my life in a way that I would have never imagined. And it's been amazing how it has uh, led to many other great things, such as our mastermind group, which is a huge, huge part of my 
uh, ongoing growth and improvement uh, that I'm so thankful to be a part of. And then uh, through Crown Council, I met Roy Hammond. And I don't have to tell any of you on this who's listening to this tape that uh, the, the kind of person Roy Hammond is and the influence he's had on so many. And he has definitely been a mentor for me. And uh, his Learning Curves program has enriched mine and my wife's lives. We've had so much fun on those adventures. So I could go on and on, but the Crown Council is certainly on my top uh, 20 as a educational source for me that, that is ongoing. And then um, number four, I would mention Jimmy Eubank, a huge mentor of mine. Jimmy is what I call a complete dentist. He is a seasoned clinician that has uh, taught me so much. Uh, he's a unique individual in that he's got all the functional background, but then he's also got all of the aesthetic components in his in his the toolbox. Uh, he is a ceramist as well as a cosmetic dentist, so he carries both sides of that equation. And uh, Jimmy's just been one of those guys that has taught me so much, and I am indebted to him. And uh, if you have a chance to go out and take some of his continuums in his office, I highly recommend it because uh, you will be um, brought to a new level by, by his expertise. And then number five, rounding out my educational side, I would have to mention John Coyce, who has become one of my biggest mentors currently. Uh, I'm in the process of going through all of the continuums that he offers, all nine of them there in Seattle. And uh, John is just simply one of the most brilliant dentists I've ever met. Uh, he is very research-oriented, evidence-based, and yet he has a, a wealth of experience and practical knowledge that he puts into that equation. And on top of that, he's just one of the most humble and approachable people you'll ever meet. So he's got the, the magic combination of all the ingredients to be an incredible educator. And uh, he has changed a lot of my philosophy and, and approaches to uh, functional um, occlusion. He's also brought so many other valuable uh, pieces of the, of the equation from periodontal treatment to uh, biomechanics. Um, I, I always look forward to going out and continuing that, that journey with him. So, again, if I were looking for a couple of guys to, to go out and learn from, uh, Jimmy and John Coyce would definitely be at the top of my list uh, as a recommendation. So the educational part of that, uh, th those five things have been huge in making me a better dentist and a better person. I uh, moved from education to the clinical part, and I think, you know, all all dentists out there, uh, I have an analogy right now because uh, my boys are playing football, and I'm helping coach a little bit on that, and football's on my mind. But, you know, for us dentists, we learn to learn about practice management and other aspects of our job, but when it comes down to it, it's kind of like football. No matter how many plays you learn on offense or defense or special teams, at the end of the day, you like to just hit you like the collision, and uh, I think it's with Dennis, at the end of the day, we just like the clinical part a lot, and uh, we just can't help ourselves. We want to see pictures. Uh, we want to learn the, the latest and greatest cement or or product that's out there. So um, it was easy for me to, to write down some clinical things that have, been, have made a big difference for me, and, uh, again, it's what I naturally kind of think about first whenever I'm thinking about 20 things that have made me a better dentist, but... As I got a little deeper into it, there was a lot more than just clinical. 
But on that list, I would put number one, and this will come as no surprise to many of you who know me and kind of know what I've been doing the last few years, but it would be uh, kind of merging into the no-prep world of dentistry and also, I would say, minimally invasive dentistry. Uh, Having done this a long time, I have certainly tried a lot of different approaches to cosmetic dentistry and to restorative dentistry, and uh, I would say that all of them can work and can work well, and it's uh, not about trying to be negative, but, but it has become so enjoyable to me to do dentistry in a very minimally invasive way, and oftentimes doing it with no invasiveness or, or, or you know, absolutely a reversible process with no preparation uh, porcelain veneers. So that has been a huge, huge part of our practice. My team has totally embraced it, and we are really enjoying the the side effects of that uh, in in terms of attitude, in terms of patient excitement in terms of uh, bypassing some of the negative sentiments and negative uh, things that go along with dentistry traditionally. So um, it's just, I can't tell you how much that has changed our life. And kind of number two on that, uh, that goes right along with it, would be developing a technique where we're using composite as our preview or as our prototype, if you will. And that process, which I actually learned a lot in the accreditation process of how to manipulate composite, how to build facial form and contouring with materials so that it mimics nature and looks like teeth. And I was able to transfer some of that skill set into the no prep process by by doing um, composite prototype restorations that we are spot etching onto the teeth. And that gives us a preview or a test drive for the patient. That has been huge for us. And it's changed the way I practice, and it's definitely made me a better dentist to be able to have that skill. And then number three on the clinical has been um, trying to think more like a ceramist, and by that I mean learning the ceramist world. I had the opportunity and, and privilege for about five or six years of having two different ceramists in my office with me. And that was a huge growth period for me. It made me a better dentist to be able to watch these guys, what they do, and, 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 the, and the relationship between what I was giving them versus what they were able to, to accomplish and turn out. And so by learning the ceramist world, you intrinsically become a better dentist. And uh, the more I learn about... Uh, the whole world of ceramics from their end, the better the better I am. And then number four on that list, uh, I would definitely say has become is one of the things that's kind of come easy to me is just being a natural student of of nature and of natural teeth. And as I have gone through the years, I've collected photographs and models, and I have a library of this of natural teeth, of both photographs and models. And by being a student of nature, you are able to reproduce nature in a more accurate way. And this is definitely something I highly recommend, and particularly for all the young dentists out there who are maybe just beginning the journey, is create your own library of natural teeth that you can resort back to and you can look at and, uh, and study so that, again, your eye is sharper. A couple of little things that 
I think, again, dentists intrinsically want to know. Uh, so I'll mention, I put a couple of, of new, latest and greatest little things that I use in the clinic that have really helped me and I've been excited about. Um, so we're going all the way from broad strokes of uh, the AECD down to a couple of little items that uh, I think are, are really pretty cool. One of them is called the LumaGrip, and this is a little product made by Denmat for their Lumineer veneers. And so uh, that's the last time you'll hear me say that in this recording. I mentioned my competitor <laughs> there. But uh, they have created a great product uh, with the Luma Grip, and it runs from your high-speed suction, and it grabs hold of the veneer via suction, and it does a great job of holding it good and firm and steady where you don't have to worry about dropping it or it coming off at the last second. And you can use it to transfer from the doctor to the, uh, from the assistant to the doctor rather, and to the patient's mouth without having to to hand off the veneer in your hand and get cement all over your glove and that sort of thing. And then the assistants can use it when they're preparing the veneers and treating them um, before you put it in the mouth. So it's a neat little product, and I urge you to check that out if you haven't seen it or if you don't own one of those and give it a try. They're not very expensive, I think. Two fifty or three hundred dollars, something like that, and uh, they're worth every penny of it. And we couldn't imagine uh, doing a case without it at this point. And then in the clinical portion to wrap that up, the other thing I'll mention that uh, John Coyce really pointed me toward is a product by Danville, which is called a PrepStar. And this is basically their high-end micro etcher. And for years, I have used the little smaller Danville etchers that were two or three hundred bucks that. Uh, uh, had the powder and the gun all in one one piece. Now this uh, this upgraded PrepStar has a real nice integral piece that uh, is very small. You can get to anywhere. But the beautiful thing about Prep St- the PrepStar is that you can vary the amount of air pressure and the amount of powder that you're using. So it's a wonderful tool, for example, for cleaning off your preparations prior to cementation. So you can lower the air pressure and lower the, um, the amount of particles flowing out so that you don't damage your gum tissue and cause bleeding. And, and, uh, and, and it'll do just a beautiful job of cleaning the preparation. And Dr. Kloyce has uh, some interesting studies that point out the increase in adhesive strength when you do use a microetcher with most uh, cement systems out there. So um, after I started using that, I can't imagine how I cemented all those cases for years without it because you can just visibly see with your loops uh, the cleanliness of the dent, and then we, we're reassured through the research that this is going to have a, a positive impact in terms of adhesion. So the prep start and the Luma Grip are two things, kind of small things, but they uh, can make a big, big difference in, uh, in your clinical uh, efficiency as you, as you do your restorations. If I could interject a question... Yes. Um, back on the ceramist uh, question, because I've observed two things uh, about you over the years. One, just your whole nature and ability to communicate pe- with people is uh, amazing, and your love for the art and science of dentistry is is very unique. Can you characterize for us the relationship you have today with your ceramist and how that might be different than maybe the way uh, others might go about that relationship? Because I've watched some dynamics of that, and you handle it in a very unique way. Well, thank you, Steve. And, and 
boy, I'll have to admit that I feel a little bit unqualified to to speak much on that subject. Um, w- one of the pitfalls that I think I have fell into, and and that I I believe I'm not unique here, is that in our busyness and in our haste, sometimes we do fail to develop the kind of relationship with our ceramists that we really need to have, and we do not spend enough time in communication. I think it might be pretty comparable to perhaps a marriage or any other important relationship where um, you really have to make that a priority, as uh, Roy Hammond so ably spoke about in in his presentation, so that uh, these things uh, don't go into a state of entropy uh, and diminish, but rather they grow because you've really focused on that. So um, I think I might have to say that uh, we, we fall short a good bit on this, but a couple of unique things that maybe we have been able to understand and, and to put into place is that um, verbal communication with your ceramics is really, really challenging at best. Uh, trying to describe color with words is cumbersome, and even trying to describe shape and morphology is very cumbersome with just words. But we believe that using, again, very accurate prototypes to not only guide us with the shapes and uh, architecture, but also to uh, help even understand where we're going with color by using a certain type of composite that we have as a standard that we know we can blend and match ceramic to very closely. Uh, So um, moving your lab relationship out of a verbal world and into more of a visual world, in our opinion, is probably the is going to help make you more efficient. On a personal note, I think it's um, challenging, but yet so important that you personally merge together uh, with someone of like mind. And so um, you want someone with the same intensity level. You want somebody with the same amount of passion. Somebody with the same amount of quality focus. And, you know, that that's challenging and sort of a, a bit of a moving target. And so uh, I could talk this whole hour about dentist-laboratory relationships, and uh, believe me, it's a, it's a difficult subject matter. But uh, we have tried hard, uh, Mark and I, Mark Willis, who helped me co-develop the, uh, the Durathin uh, product, we've tried real hard to synchronize ourselves and to stay on the same page and to continue to improve and um, that journey continues. Thank you. So um, as we shift from the clinical to the practice management side of things, I would put at the top of, of the things that have helped us be a better practice and thus me be a better dentist would be implementing measurements. And this is something that, Steve, I have to give you full credit for. Uh, for years, I was somewhat resistant to the idea of, of um, being overly analytical. Uh, I felt like that there was just not enough hours in the day to, to look at certain things beyond a point. And, Steve, you all along have been promoting that if you don't understand what's happening in your practice, then you have no chance of, of really accurately reacting to that. And you've been so right about that. And one of the things that we implemented about a year ago, maybe even a little less than that, was a weekly meeting with our team. And we created these, uh, and the meeting is on Tuesday mornings at 8 o'clock from 8 to 9. And we look over the past week, and each one of our team members has a specific 
checklist of things that they're evaluating themselves and then presenting that to the entire rest of the team. So there's a huge amount of accountability. For example, with the dental assistants, let's take them, for example, uh, their list of things that they're monitoring would be uh, how were my impressions last week? Was there a need to retake any of my impressions? How were my x-rays? Did I have to reshoot any x-rays? And if so, why? And so this list is pretty lengthy of just their skill sets and, and how they performed the week before. Did we have any temporaries come off? If so, why? Did we have any unhappy patients? If so, why? And so they're able to present this to the group and basically kind of grade their performance from the past week. And every single team member from our treatment coordinators to our scheduling coordinators, all of these individuals have a list of things that we're monitoring and reporting on. And that measuring, if you will, has really changed our effectiveness here and shifted a lot of the burden off of me to be the, the guy that comes in with the whip and, uh, and breaks everybody over the coals to where now that burden is shifted over to the actual team members and they carry the accountability to each other. Um, a wonderful concept and something that has really, really made a big difference in our overall effectiveness. That that right there, Dennis, probably merits an hour or more. Yes, easily uh, because it, yes. it sounds there is such a subtle difference, but it is so it changes the dynamic of how you operate when the accountability shifts to the person who's closest to it, and they are reporting to the team versus management checking up on everyone. It changes the culture of the office, and you've experienced that. We have definitely experienced that, and you can um, you can see the end result of that in the spirit of the practice, in the spirit of the patients, in the spirit of the team members, and in our bottom line. So we are indebted to the TOPS Institute for bringing all of this into into view for us. And I might just say that if there's guys out there, guys and girls like that had the same sort of position that I did. Uh, is being as close to to you as I am, Steve, and to the Crown Council and to uh, the things that you guys have been promoting for a long time, um, I still, for some reason, just did not pull the trigger. I just didn't put it into place. So if any um, uh, guys or girls are out there hearing this and maybe you're kind of where I was, let me just encourage you to go on and implement these things or or get to that get to that TOPS lecture meeting or invite somebody, one of their team members in. Uh, Roz Fulmer was brought into our practice for several months uh, a few years ago, and it made a profound change as well. So um, what you have been screaming from the rooftops for a year, Steve, is just uh, undoubtedly going to help any of us. Second on that practice management, I would put um, something that, that – came a, a bit instinctive to me for some reason, but almost from the get-go, we have had the idea of empowering our team members to do the things that I don't do very well and to, and to for me not to, to try to do everything myself. Uh, many of y'all may have met uh, Deb Ham, my office manager, but she's been in my practice a long, long time, and it became clear early on that she was able to do a lot of things that well that that I didn't necessarily do so well. And so it it became easy for me to allow her to do those things. 
and that whole mentality has flowed to all of our team members where uh, we believe that empowering your team and not being uh, a micromanager for certain and uh, and definitely allowing them to grow and expand is a pathway uh, to success, and it has certainly helped me be a better dentist in that I can focus now on the things I can do well and uh, hopefully be free of the clutter and some of the things that they can do so uh, so masterfully well themselves. Number three on my practice management, I would have to mention Kane Waters out of Dallas. Uh, Teresa Gast is my personal coach there, and the combination of her abilities and just the overall infrastructure of Kane Waters has made me a better dentist. It's made our practice better. Um, because as any of us mature and grow, there's usually going to be uh, a time where you're going to need to invite in an associate or, or more than one. Uh, we just recently purchased another practice uh, about three months ago west of town here. And um, I can't imagine moving through some of those critical transition areas and, and periods without having their guidance. Uh, they manage hundreds of dental practices in one form or another and the counting and so forth. And they just are experts in the area of um, growth of practices and transitioning and managing uh, taxes and some of the necessary things that come along with any business. Uh, and they do it really, really well. So Cane Waters has definitely saved me a lot of money and a lot of headaches and it made me a better dentist. Another part of the practice management strategy that has really helped me was a decision to limit my practice to an aesthetic restorative only business. And I would say real quickly that that's a decision I don't think is for everybody. Um, but what I do believe in is is doing some soul searching and, and trying to determine what you do best and then maybe having the faith or the confidence to strike out in that direction and kind of... Uh, deflect away some of the other things that you don't do so well. And that I remember clearly that was a big decision for me as I started my practice here in, in Tennessee, um, <clears throat> excuse me, was to make the conscious decision to quit doing root canals, for example, which I thought I did fairly well and uh, didn't necessarily dread them or anything, but I just felt like they were going to uh, detour me a bit from my real love and passion, which was cosmetics. And so um, it, many times it can be a difficult decision, but in our case, it was really, with hindsight, I think it's proven to be the right decision to not try to wear a lot of hats. There are some guys out there who I think are really, really good at that. Um, there's people that just have the uh, the intellect and the uh, the ability to multitask, and and to and they're just they're just amazing people, and they can they can wear a lot of hats at the same time. I was not one of those people. I had to kind of limit my focus to a place where I could really put all of my time and energy to. And um, and so looking back on it, that made me a better dentist to, to just keep on one basic area and to kind of think of myself like a specialty. Uh, many, many years ago, that became my mindset is that we were going to, even though we weren't recognized by the ADA as a bona fide specialty, we were going to try to look that way to our to our patients and to even other specialists and to try to mimic a lot of the specialist behavior. And I think that has, has proven to serve us well. Uh, number five on the practice management thing, I would put, um, we made a conscious decision all these years uh, for our team to play together as well as work together. 
and we have come up with uh, several little ditties that are just um, unique to our practice and our style, but they were all designed to, to put us together a lot. Uh, for example, we have uh, what we call social committee meetings, and um, anyone in the practice has the ability to call one of these meetings um, uh, in pretty much a last-minute flavor if they need to, where we feel like that for whatever reason we've had a hard day or things have been tough or we've had a difficult patient, and we just need to get together uh, and and talk about it and have some food and beverage. And, and so we'll pick a, a local restaurant and just say, you know, at 5.30 when we're done, it's social committee meeting time. And uh, those are proven to be fun. It's not mandatory. A lot of times somebody else has got one or two of the people will have other plans. But my point is is that we have we have worked hard to create activities. Uh, we have a little lake home, for example, and, and we'll go out there and spend time together. And if we can't go there, we'll pick someplace else. But I feel real strongly that the that we want to be the opposite of the of the strategy of you know keeping your business and your social separate. Uh, we we want to merge those together so that we know each other real well, and that we know not only just the people that work here. But we want to know their significant others and some of their family, and we want to be like an extended family. And I feel like that that creates the kind of culture that allows us to best serve our patients that, that come to see us. And then one small little thing I'll put on here is that, um, as number six in this list, is years ago we um, went down the road of trying to make the dental office as much like a spa experience as possible. <clears throat> and we have seen this move all around with um, a lot of dynamics. There's been some offices across the country that have done an incredible job of blurring that line so that the dental office is, you know, a spa with massage and, and facials and, and all of the services that you can get at a typical spa. We were never um, able or willing, didn't have the space or didn't have the conviction to go into into the spa thing as deep as many did, but it, we've always had the idea that any little amenity we can add here that makes sense financially that we can build into our physical space here and do, uh, we're going to try to do that. And a little simple thing that we did uh, in our last remodeling of our office about six years ago is we included a small little room, and we call it a Zen Zone. And it's a private little room with little water flowing and some soft music and a massage chair, just one of these uh, chairs you can buy at Brookstone or something like that, uh, nothing too too terribly expensive, a couple thousand dollars. And it has been amazing how our patients to this day will almost fight you over a, a, res, a reserve time or a reservation to get in that room and just relax and and, uh, and enjoy that chair and just enjoy the quietness of it. So... Uh, I have that, come that is the most popular chair in your office, I understand. It, it is, without a doubt, the most popular <laughs> chair. Uh, but one of the things we never anticipated, in fact, I was against this idea when the remodeling was, was taking place, and our decorator uh, thought it was a great idea, and we had this little data space left over, and she said, well, I want you to do this with, with the space. And I thought, that's just going to be a waste of, of time and money and, and space, and it's really not going to be kind of cheesy. But as it turns out, when our patients come in and they're 10 minutes early for their appointment, they hit that room if it's open just about every time. Yeah. And if we're running late, 
then we can many times put the patient in that chair and they will not be anxious to get in there and they won't be mad at us. So, um, and if people are waiting on relatives to have their dentistry done, many times they'll sit in there. So it just has turned out to be one of those little things that uh, was far bigger than we could have ever imagined. So a Zen Zone room is a great idea for, I think, any practice. And uh, if you've got a little space and get you a massage chair, uh, it might really, really be amazing to you. It's been to us how your patients are going to react to that. And those type amenities uh, from making smoothies for our patients, we went to Costco and bought a uh, real nice blender, that uh, a commercial blender that works really well. And so we keep all the items on hand to, to make smoothies for any of our patients, even if they're just coming for cleaning. And that those little things don't cost a lot. They make a huge difference. And just having that attitude of, of being a spa-type environment has uh, made me a better dentist and has made our practice better. Lastly, getting down to the personal column, I have three main things here that um, I've included here that have, I think, definitely made me better. And the first one I mentioned, and I hope it, by way of almost encouragement to others, has been uh, is being uh, dabbling with, the, with lecturing and teaching and writing articles and publishing and so forth. Um, I've never fashioned myself as an educator. As I chose dentistry and began my practice, it never was in my focus to become an educator. And what little bit I did for years was just uh, definitely just sort of dabbling and nothing serious about it. And when we started our journey with no preparation veneers, um, then it almost got thrust on me because uh, there was a lot of interest and people were asking, uh, the lab was asking, could we do some programs to show other dentists and other potential clients? And so it just sort of happened. And as I got into it and started doing a little bit of lecturing and teaching and so forth, what I discovered real quickly is that that's a humbling place to be. And I also discovered it made me better. Um, if you're going to teach anything, obviously you really need to know it well. And so a lot of times as I'm working in the, in the operatories and I'm now thinking about presenting this or how I might be able to show this to other dentists where they can understand it or see it, then it suddenly makes me better. It makes everything I do come from just a little bit higher place. So I mention that primarily if there's any of you out there who feel like you might have something you want to share with others or if you kind of entertain this idea of writing some articles or doing a little lecture and teaching, uh, be prepared because it's definitely going to make you a better dentist. You'll probably be the one that profits from that more than the people that are listening. I'm pretty sure that's been the case for me. Uh, the second thing I would mention are the humanitarian trips and uh, the benevolent things that I have been uh, involved with through the years um, that have made me a better dentist. Many of these things, again, I, I do not want to say that, that I just had the kind of um, mindset and heart that was just always out there looking for a way to help other people. I must admit, particularly in my younger years, I was just so focused on, on being the best I could be and surviving and, and growing and so forth that um, the humanitarian things were not, not high on my priority list, though I, though I felt like I always had a concern for others, but uh, just not a focus on it. And in recent years, as I have been so inspired by people like Roy Hammond, 
and Steve and so many others I could throw out there, um, I have um, I have found a whole new sense of uh, personal development. And um, I know I'm, again, preaching to the choir here to the Crown Council, but uh, the humanitarian efforts that I've been involved with, which have not been numerous at this point, uh, but the ones I have done have made me realize that uh, I can grow personally and I can I can bring that back to what I do every day in hopes of finding more opportunity to help even people right here in our own backyard. And then kind of piggyback with that, uh, I've created a foundation for my late son that's given me a whole nother focus to look at. And as I do that, I integrate with more people uh, here in my community, and then that leads to uh, more opportunities. And uh, so definitely, if you're looking to grow your world, um, I, I know, again, most of you know this already, if not all of you, but uh, helping other people is definitely going to make you grow. And then lastly, I come to um, a, a thing that I have focused on pretty heavily in recent years, which is as I go out into the dental world and pursue dentistry and with a passion and, and with a vigor that I've just kind of instinctively had since I got in this profession, I love it. I, I am so grateful for all it's done for me. But one of the things I began to understand along the way is that uh, it can tear you away from your family and some of the, the precious time that should be there with the people you love the most uh, if you allow it to, to do so. And so one of the things that I think has made me better personally and even helped round me out to be a better dentist is a commitment to bring my family along and to integrate them within my profession. And this is not easy to do sometimes, and certainly not, I don't do this perfectly, uh, but we really have a, a very determined and conscious effort in place, my wife and I, that as as I go and speak or as we go to dental conferences or as even we're looking at now at some of the humanitarian trips, we want to bring the children along and the wife as well. We want to, the whole family to to integrate in this profession as much as possible because I believe that by having the strong family nucleus, you're then able to be a better professional. You're better, in my case, a better dentist as I keep all of that uh, in, in the right perspective. So that kind of rounds out my, my personal items I would put on the top 20, and um, I hope that uh, at least one or two of those have resonated with the listening audience, and uh, I must say that I am incredibly grateful uh, to be in this profession, and I feel so uh, privileged to be a part of that, and I'm incredibly grateful to be in the Crown Council, and uh, I appreciate all of the Crown Council membership and, and the organization and what it's done for me and my family. And I think with that, I will leave it with you, Steve. Thanks, Dennis. I've got uh, two questions to, to wrap up, the first of which is, as you know, is my favorite question, which is if you were starting all over today, knowing what you know now, what would you do or what would you do differently? What would you do differently or what would you do exactly the same? Well, that's a wonderful question, and I think as you've listened to my 20 things here, it might be pretty obvious that, you know, I would just put all of these things into play a lot earlier. Uh, mm -hmm. Probably what's not clear here is kind of the chronological order that these, these things came into my professional journey. 
But I think that uh, putting these 20 things up at the very beginning, so for the young dentists who are starting out and in, in early in their career, uh, all of these things I've mentioned, I would just uh, I'd plug them in tomorrow. And I think looking back on it, that's what I would do differently, is that there have been many things that uh, have come along that have, been, that have been blessings to me, but I wish I'd have just known about them sooner. Some of these mentors, some of the organizations I wish I'd have joined. I got out of dental school and started practicing in 1983. Well, I wish I had uh, been able to hook right up with some of these um, you know, incredible mentors then rather than 8, 10, 12 years later. So you are you get the the prize for humility. Ever since I've known you, you're the first one to give everybody else the credit and uh, put the focus on everybody else. So <laughs> I'm going to turn the spotlight on you for just a minute and ask you to give us a, an update on your Durathin courses you do in Nashville, and you've been doing those for several years. But give us a quick update on what they're all about, what exactly you do, and if someone hasn't taken advantage of uh, learning how to do prepless dentistry, how they can get involved in that. Well, thank you for the commercial time, and um, we are continuing our our excitement and, and just our passion for those courses. We do one a quarter, and uh, so they usually fall in late January and late April, and then in July and October, and they're a two-day, two over-the-shoulder course where we will complete from start to finish a no-prep veneer case. And um, we feel that we are sort of starting a grassroots movement here by doing these courses where we, uh, quote, certify these doctors and, and bring their skill sets and, and, and bring their vision of things up to a place where they can then go to their communities and uh, begin doing this service for many people. And um, we... We are we limit it to 18 doctors. That's the most we can put in my little small office, and so it is a very intimate kind of experience. And um, if any of you are intrigued by the no prep thing and and don't have another mentor, we would love for you to to come join us in Nashville. We have a good time in the evenings. We go out and sample some of the country music and uh, have some good dining, and and so it's a it's a two day experience. And website for the course is. You can go to musiccityseminars.com, which has all of my um, projected lectures and uh, courses and so forth. You can also go to durathinveneers.com, which is our site for the doctors, and you'll see there all the doctors that have come through the course and that are certified in their areas. And uh, this is a this is a patient-friendly site, so that uh, once you come to the course and, and get the certification, then as as people go online, and, and one thing we're really proud of is that if you do a Google search for conservative, minimally invasive dentistry or no prep dentistry for sure, uh, we're real, real close behind Lumineers in terms of visibility on the website, and that's been by design because uh, we feel like uh, we have the ability now to drive people, potential patients, to uh, these doctors that have signed up for the course, and so we're trying to to build a brand uh, that will have meaning and that will represent prepless veneers in a very high-quality way. Well, and if if anybody hasn't learned at the feet of uh, Dennis Wells, you're in for an experience. You're uh, you would I'd put you right up there with with John Coyce is one of the most humble, uh, easy to listen to, easy to learn from 
mentors that there is and and appreciate your sharing today your 20 things that have made you a better dentist and for being our mentor of the month this month thank you so much Steve I appreciate you as well thank you Thank you.